order for us to do that, I'd like you to open your Bibles to the Gospel according to St. John, chapter 1. I'd like to read just a few verses from the Word of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And then down to verse 14. And the Word was made flesh, and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The scripture goes on to say, the law was given by Moses, verse 17. Grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. When we begin to deal with the Jehovah's Witnesses, or the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society, we are dealing with one of the largest non-Christian cults in the United States. Its headquarters is in Brooklyn, New York, and the Jehovah's Witnesses have been publishing since 1879. Their first publication of the Watchtower announcing Jehovah's Kingdom was 6,000 copies. As you can see, looking over at the screen, the Jehovah's Witnesses have grown considerably in their publication. You will notice that the Watchtower magazine and Awake magazine have now gone into the hundreds of millions of copies and in multiple languages across the world. As one looks at these figures and one thinks about the growth of Jehovah's Witnesses, it cannot help but stagger the imagination. In 1969, Jehovah's Witnesses were 2,256,784 persons worldwide. As we moved into 1979, the Watchtower organization in 10 years had grown to those amazing statistics. And right now, in the United States, the average number of Jehovah's Witnesses is 521,000, and they have more than 400,000 full and part-time missionaries working to promote the work of the Watchtower. In 1969, there were 76,000 pioneers. These are essentially missionaries who serve full-time. They work about 100 hours per month for the Watchtower organization. In 1979, that figure had jumped, as you can see, to 127,558. The average in the United States in 69 was 20,943, and in 1979, 32,878. You are seeing a phenomenal growth and development of a witnessing cult. Now, the Jehovah's Witnesses are renowned for starting Bible studies, and they begin Bible studies in people's houses at a greater rate than all of the Protestant denominations and the Catholic Church combined. When you stop and think that the Watchtower organization has blocked out every major center in the United States, every major population center, to the place where they can call on every dwelling place in its center at least three times per year, and start hundreds of thousands of Bible studies and make millions and millions of back calls to people's houses to follow up and to get Watchtower theology and Watchtower literature into the hands of the people. It is a staggering thing to behold. And yet, the Jehovah's Witnesses with their publishing feats are going on to more astounding things. Right at the present moment, they produce and distribute more literature in six months than the combined presses of the Protestant denominations and Catholicism are able to do in a year period. You are talking about dedicated people. You're talking about people who rain, snow, sleet, or scorching heat are out there promoting the watchtower, as they call it, announcing Jehovah's kingdom. Now, 
where did the watchtower come from? And how did the entire thing develop? It began with Charles Taze Russell, a haberdasher who lived in Allegheny, Pennsylvania in 1870. He began a Bible study in the back room of his store, and they ordained him pastor. He never was ordained in the classical sense at all, but the Bible class ordained him. He became known as Pastor Russell. Now, Russell, at the age of 18, was already a pastor by his own hand through his Bible class. And he began to develop a series of books which were known as the Millennial Dawn. They were later changed to studies in the scriptures. And Russell began to teach the second coming of Jesus Christ was an invisible coming, an invisible presence. In other words, Christ would not come back again with the Holy Spirit, the power of God, and every eye would see him as the Bible says. Instead, he would appear invisibly. And using the great pyramid at Giza and trying to measure out everything and to put all of the uh, language of the Bible, all of the illustrations of the Bible, 1,250 days here and so many days there. And then by using a year-day theory, one year uh, and a day are equated, Russell built this entire pyramid system of interpretation. It became the foundation of Jehovah's Witnesses. I often refer to Jehovah's Witnesses as Armageddon Incorporated because they have been pushing the idea of the judgment of God on the day of Armageddon almost since their beginning. Now you'll notice that I read the Gospel of John, chapter 1. Why? Because the Watchtower organization is actually the resurgence of an old cult, a cult that began in the 4th century of the Christian era. It was known as the Arian Heresy. And the Arian Heresy denied the deity of Jesus Christ and taught that he was a created being who was raised to the rank of a god because of his obedience here on the earth. Russell picked up all of these old Arian arguments, named after Arius of Alexandria, a brilliant theologian in the early Christian church. He picked up the arguments, dressed them up in 19th century language, and presented them to the world as the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society, and as later on it was named, Jehovah's Witness. Now, Rutherford took over after Russell died, Judge Rutherford, he was called. Though there's considerable doubt as to whether or not he actually was a bona fide judge. Rutherford took over the organization, Russell having died in 1916, and put forth the idea that we must advertise and advertise and advertise the king and the kingdom. He took modern emerging public relations and advertising techniques and applied them, the first time it was ever done, to a religious operation. And in 1931, Columbus, Ohio, he renamed the organization Jehovah's Witnesses. Now, under Rutherford's leadership, he wrote more than a hundred books and pamphlets, and his own writings were circulated in more than a hundred million copies before his death in 1942. Judge Rutherford promoted the watchtowers that had never been done before. Russell did a pretty good job in the beginning. His writings reached a circulation of 25 million copies before he died. But the Watchtower has been known for publications and advertisements and using all of the techniques that go with it in order to promote their particular brand of cultism. Now, the thing that distinguishes Jehovah's Witnesses from most of the other cults is that they have been inveterate date-setters. They have been speaking as the prophet of God to the world 
ever since Russell began his various writings and speaking. Today, the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society maintains that it alone is the only bona fide voice of God on earth. We have an organization that's moving towards three million in membership that has this tremendous penetration with literature and that does such follow-up work and such evangelism on a personal one-to-one -one level, then you've got to look very carefully at its origins and what got people interested. What got people interested was they were claiming to be the voice of God and they were predicting the end of the world. No, they weren't out on street corners with placards and sandwiches on them saying the end is coming or anything like that. What they were doing was speaking to a large group of individuals and telling them in the midst of a world that was torn by war. At the end of the rainbow. And the whole organization was leading them in the proper path. Now, to get an idea of how this psychology works, it's a combination fear psychology and apocalyptic psychology. Fear psychology because people are forever looking over their shoulders in fear of Armageddon. And apocalyptic because it's always pushing you forward every moment of the day to this great glorious moment that you're always geared up for. Now to keep the momentum going in the Watchtower organization, they began early a long series of remarks about the end of the world. This is their view of their own role. I'm going to quote them, the Watchtower. Uh, April 1st, 1972. Quote, So does Jehovah have a prophet to help them? to warn them of dangers, to declare things to come. These questions can be answered in the affirmative. Who is this prophet? This prophet was not one man, but was a body of men and women. It was the small group of footstep followers of Jesus Christ, known at the time as international Bible students. Today they are known as Jehovah's Christian Witnesses. Of course, it's easy to say that this group acts as a prophet of God. It's another thing to prove it. The only way that this can be done is to review the record. What does it show? Close quote. That's a very interesting suggestion. Review the record. What does it show? Well, let's review that record. Now, let's keep this thought in the back of our minds, okay? And when you're dealing with a Jehovah's Witness, keep this in the back of your mind. Keep in your mind that they believe that the Watchtower is the prophet of God and that they are speaking in the name of God. It is not just the opinion of an organization, the opinion of leadership. They are maintaining right here, they are the voice of God. So if what they say doesn't come to pass, you can't turn around and say, ollie ollie in free, we're just mortal humans like everybody else, and we make mistakes too, and after all, what are you jumping on us for? You make mistakes, don't you? That's a watchtower approach. But it failed, because they claim when they speak, they are speaking in the name of Jehovah God. So let's listen to what Jehovah God allegedly told the Watchtower. 1889, the battle of the great day of God Almighty, which will end in A.D. 1914, with the complete overthrow of Earth's present rulership is already commenced. Close quote. In 1889, they said in the name of God that in 1914, the complete overthrow of Earth's rulership would take place. Well, that's enough to really rev up your engine. In 1889, you've got to get to 1914 because the end is coming. And so that's exactly the psychology that was employed. 
Go, go, go. 14, 14, go. 1914, 1914. Well, they got there. 1897. Our Lord, the appointed king, is now present since October 1874. 1916. The Bible chronology herein presented shows that the six great thousand-year days beginning with Adam are ended, that the great seventh day, the thousand-year reign of Christ, began in 1873. You notice that there's a conspicuous absence of comment about 1914, because they passed 1914 and nothing happened, except that Pastor Russell came down from his bedroom to the dining room at the Bethel headquarters in Brooklyn, they'd moved there from Pennsylvania, and declared in 1914, the times of the Gentiles have ended. And that was his proclamation that now everything was going to happen. World War I broke out. Russell said, this is it. We were right in 1889. Look what's happening. And World War I kept on and on. And Russell died. And Rutherford took over. But did the Watchtower recant? Did it say, we're awfully sorry that we've been psyching you up since 1889? We're sorry about 1897, and we're embarrassed about 1914. No, that was not the case. False prophets have a way of not doing this. 1918, again, we may confidently expect that 1925 will mark the return of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the faithful prophets of old, particularly those named by the apostles in Hebrews chapter 11, to the condition of human Perfection. Ah, we're at it again. We blew it from 1889. We've certainly made our mistake in 1914. In 1918, we've got another date. 1925. Only Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are coming back in 1925. The resurrection is going to take place. But wait a minute. Something very confusing here. In 1916, they said that the thousand-year reign of Christ began in 1873. God said that. Well, that's the millennium. And in the millennium, the lion lies down with the lamb. Correct? Yes. But the only way that the lion lies down with the lamb today is if the lamb is inside the lion. <laughs> so we are pretty sure that we are not dealing with the millennial kingdom. Well, they blew it on the millennium. And now they are moving up a little further to 1925. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are going to show up again. The resurrection is going to take place. 1922. The date 1925 is even more distinctly indicated by the scriptures because it is fixed by the law God gave to Israel. Now we've got God's law backing up God's prophets in God's theocratic organization. With that kind of a build-up, it's got to happen. 1923. Our thought is that 1925 is definitely settled by the Scriptures. Well, Rutherford said it. Absolutely, the prophetic voice had spoken. January 1925 arrives. The year 1925 is here. With great expectation, Christians have looked forward to this year. Many have confidently expected that all members of the body of Christ will be changed to heavenly glory during that year. This may be accomplished. It may not be. You notice how God has a habit of changing his calendar in the Watchtower's uh, particular evaluation of it? In his own due time, God will accomplish his purposes concerning his own people. Christians should not be so deeply concerned about what may transpire this year. Now, you've been psyching these people up since 1914. You've been 11 years telling them that this great event is going to take place, and you have now arrived in January of 1925, and you just got finished telling them it may happen, it may not happen. 
You see, there's a peculiar type of condition that goes on here. Because a person who was thinking normally and rationally would say, you're bananas. You were wrong in 1889, you were wrong in 1914, you were wrong in 1916, you were wrong in 1918, and you were wrong in 1925. I'm not going to believe this nonsense anymore. Did that happen? No. Faithful Jehovah's Witness went right along. Jehovah's theocratic organization, something had happened to the thinking processes. They had become so oriented in the Watchtower's literature, they totally had forgotten the facts of history. September 1925. It is expected that Satan will try to inject into the minds of the consecrated the thought that 1925 will see an end to this work. They'd only been telling you that for 11 years. Diligence now and to the end seems absolutely essential to victory. 1926. Some anticipated the work would end in 1925, but the Lord did not state so. But the Lord had stated so in 1914. That was carefully pushed into the background. 1931. Honesty begins to creep out from under Rutherford's robes. There was a measure of disappointment on the part of Jehovah's faithful ones on earth concerning the years 1914, 1918, and 1925, which disappointment lasted for a time. They also learned to quit fixing dates. Close quote. As Rutherford, we are not going to fix any more dates. Ten years later, 1941. Never was there a more moving sight in these last days. Receiving the gift, the marching children clasped it to them, not a toy or a plaything for idle pleasure, but the Lord's provided instrument for most effective work in the remaining months before Armageddon. They learned to quit fixing dates in 1931. They're back to fixing dates in 1941. This is Jehovah's prophet now, speaking in the name of God. 1968. He won't believe this, so I'll read it very carefully and you check it on the screen there so that you can see exactly what's being said. This appeared in Awake magazine, October 8, 1968. The man that wrote this had never read any of the early Watchtower literature. I'm positive. Listen to him. True. There have been those in times past who predicted an end to the world, even announcing a specific date. Yet nothing happened. The end did not come. They were guilty of false prophesying. Read it for yourself. False prophesying. What was missing? Missing from such people were God's truths and the evidence that he was guiding and using them. Close quote. From the pen of the watchtower, published at its international headquarters, comes their own condemnation as false prophets. Some people have done this, and they were false prophets. What the man didn't know was, they did it. They were the false prophets. And he condemns the whole Watchtower organization as a result of it. Again in 1968. What about all this talk concerning the year 1975? Serious Bible students' interest has been kindled by the belief that 1975 will mark the end of the 6,000 years of human history since Adam's creation. One thing is absolutely certain, Bible chronology reinforced with fulfilled Bible prophecy shows that 6,000 years of man's existence will soon be up. Yes, within this generation, close quote. Now we're in with one generation of Armageddon, all over again, 1968. And in 1976, it may be that some who have been serving God have planned their lives according to a mistaken view. 
of just what was to happen on a certain date or in a certain year. They've missed the point of the Bible's warnings concerning the end of this system of things, thinking the Bible chronology reveals a specific date. But it is not advisable for us to set our sights on a certain date. The chronology in the Bible is not there without good purpose. That chronology indicates that we are at the close of 6,000 years of human history. In this generation, 6,000 years of human history, and they missed the point about the Bible's warnings. No, the Watchtower missed the point. And they went right on perpetuating the same thing from 1889 through 1976. Today, they are trying to back off from all of this material and get off the hook for all date setting in the name of God. Those who have tried to keep God's judgment time close to mind have on more than one occasion throughout history become overly eager for that day's arrival. In their own minds trying to rush the arrival of the desired events. Considerable expectation was aroused regarding the year 1975. There were statements made then and thereafter stressing that this was only a possibility. Unfortunately, however, along with such cautionary information, there were other statements published that implied that such realization of hope by that year was more of a probability than a mere possibility. Who published those reports? Who told the people this? Who built them up from 1889 to 1976? The Watchtower Bible and Tract Society self-proclaimed false prophets. I had a Jehovah's Witness knock on my door one day, not too long ago, before they found out I lived there. <laughs> now I think they marked the house with an X and nobody comes by anymore. And they came to me with an article from Awake magazine that said, this article is very interesting, who can you trust? And I said, I agree with you. Trust is absolutely essential in the world in which we live. They said, we agree. I said, you can always trust God's word, can't you? Yes, you certainly can, said this gentleman. You certainly can trust what Jehovah says. I said, I trust Jehovah, absolutely. He said, tell me, could you answer a question for me? Oh, yes, I'd be glad to, he said. I said, could you tell me? You're a businessman. You work during the week at your business. Oh, yes, 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 I'm in business. I said, now, if you had a client in business, and his client kept saying to you, I'm going to deliver the goods next month. I'm going to deliver the goods the month after. I'm going to deliver the goods two months after, three months after. And this kept going on and on and on. I said, and never delivered. What would you think? He said, he's a crook. <laughs> I said, he is. He is a crook. He's a liar, isn't he? He said, certainly is. I said, I'd like you to look at this. <clears throat> and I handed him the false prophecy sheet for Jehovah's Witnesses. And he read it. And his eyes kept getting like saucers. He said, could I have this? I said, be my guest. Take it home. Compare it. He said, they really said this? I said, they really said it. I didn't understand it. I said, I can. They're crooks. <laughs> They're liars. You just said so. He said, I'm going home and read it. I never saw him again. The fact is, the information for the first time stunned him. Now learn a lesson from this. When witnessing to Jehovah's Witnesses, remember that they are linear oriented. That is, they have been trained and taught by reading. All the talking is fortified by reading. So you always have reading in front of you. Don't ever just talk to a Jehovah's Witness. Get them from the talk stage to the book stage and get them into the scriptures so as you are talking, you will be going right down the road that the Watchtower has built for you. They will be reading 
and listening at the same time, and you will be able to communicate more effectively with them, to plant the seeds of the Word of God. And I read John 1.1 for a purpose. Jehovah's Witnesses deny the deity of Jesus Christ. They deny the doctrine of the Holy Trinity, and they brand holy things as satanic. I think it's proper to let them speak for themselves. So let me just quote here Jehovah's Witnesses on the Lord Jesus and Jehovah's Witnesses on the subject of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Some insist that Jesus, when on earth, was both God and man in completeness. This theory is wrong. Again, the Trinity doctrine was not conceived by Jesus or the early Christians. Again, the obvious conclusion, therefore, is that Satan is the originator of the Trinity doctrine. So the Jehovah's Witnesses deny the deity of Christ, and they deny the doctrine of the Trinity. For them, only the Father is God, and they deny the Son and the Holy Spirit. In fact, the Holy Spirit, they say, is not a person and is not one of the gods of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is the invisible active force of Jehovah God. Now, this is Watchtower theology. I didn't invent it. It came directly from their own publication. On the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which they say they believe in, you can hear these words. This firstborn one, Christ, from the dead, was not raised out of the grave a human creature. He was raised a spirit. He was put to death a man, but he was raised from the dead a spirit being of the highest order of the divine nature. The man Jesus is dead, forever dead. Just so we won't mistake it, the King Christ Jesus was put to death in the flesh and was resurrected an invisible spirit creature. They deny the resurrection of Jesus Christ because you see the word resurrection in Greek and Hebrew refers to the body, not to the soul and not to the spirit. It's improper in the Bible to talk of resurrected spirits or ghosts. You talk about resurrected bodies. If Jesus Christ didn't come forth from the grave, immortal, in the same form that hung on the cross, then we can claim no more for him than we could claim for any other good man. Namely, that his spirit survived the death of his body. But the Watchtower says it believes in the resurrection and yet categorically denies it. Again, on salvation and the blood of the cross. Listen to the Watchtower. The ransom for all given by the man Christ Jesus does not give or guarantee everlasting life or blessing to any man. That which is redeemed is that which was lost, namely perfect human life with all its rights and earthly prospects. It is very clear that on the doctrine of the Trinity, the deity of Christ, and the atonement of the cross, Christ death in our place, the watchtower is completely removed from Christian theology. One of the things that I like to do is to begin with the resurrection. The reason I begin with the resurrection is because in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the Apostle Paul says, if Christ is not resurrected, your faith is empty. You are still in your sins. And he says that you're lost for all eternity if you deny the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Well, when I talk to a Jehovah's Witness, I always say to them, you know, I've got a problem with your views on the resurrection. And they say, well, what's the problem? I say, well, you're not teaching what the Bible teaches. Oh, no, the society always teaches what the Bible teaches. Well, then maybe you could explain this verse to me. I'm puzzled. Supposing the Bible said that Jesus was going to come back in his own body, his own form, would you believe it? 
They'll look at you for a moment and say, well, it doesn't say that. I said, I didn't say it did. I just said, if it says it, would you believe the Bible? Yes, the Bible is Jehovah's Word. Good. They want to go immediately to John chapter 2, verses 19 through 21 in your Bibles. And in John chapter 2, Jesus makes this tremendously provocative statement. You destroy this temple, verse 19, and in three days I will raise it up. You destroy this temple in three days, I'll raise it up. The Jews said, 46 years was this temple in being built. You will build it again in three days. You see what they did? They assumed that Jesus was talking about the temple in Jerusalem. Now it's John who interprets the passage for you. Look at it. He spoke of the temple of his body. Now, the word body in Greek is soma. It means substance, never soul or spirit. So, the Achilles heel of Jehovah's Witnesses is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if you cross-reference this passage where Jesus prophesied his bodily resurrection with Luke chapter 24, verses 37 through 39, you will get an immediate reaction from the Jehovah's Witnesses. I always say to them in Luke chapter 24, Oh, you believe Jesus came back from the dead as the Spirit, right? And they say, right. You say, you made the same mistake and the watchtower made the same mistake that the apostles did. And they look at you, the apostles made a mistake? Yeah! Look at it, Luke chapter 24, verses 37 through 39. Jesus appears in the midst of them. And he says, peace be unto you. Look at verse 37. They were terrified and frightened and supposed they had seen a spirit. But he said unto them, why are you troubled? Why do thoughts arise in your heart? Behold my hands and my feet, it is I myself, handle me and see. A spirit doesn't have flesh and bone as you see me have. Ah, says the Jehovah's Witness, that's what you don't understand. You don't understand that Jesus just manufactured bodies that looked like the one that died so that he could convince his Oh, is that right? Where does it say that in the Bible? It doesn't. Body, John chapter 2, if he was going to manufacture bodies to convince people. Jesus lied. Oh no, they say Jesus didn't lie. Then the watchtower must have. The King Christ Jesus was put to death in the flesh, they said, and was resurrected in an invisible spirit creature. Jesus Christ said, why are you troubled and why do thoughts arise in your heart? Behold my hands and feet, it's I myself, handle me and see. A spirit doesn't have flesh and bone as you see me have. Now you can couple this passage with John chapter 20. You remember Doubting Thomas, the man who said, I'm not going to believe that he rose from the dead unless I put my finger into his hand and my hand into his side. Good old Thomas. He was from the lower part, the Missouri section of Upper Galilee. <laughs> when they came to Thomas and said, the master is risen, Thomas said, listen, I want to believe. But you never believe women early in the morning and never in a graveyard. <laughs> So he wasn't going to believe. Jesus appears again in their midst. And he says to Thomas, Reach into thy hand, put it into my side. Put your finger into the wounds. Do not be without faith. Believe. Same body. Wounds, hands, feet, sides. And Thomas answers and says to him, My Lord, uh, my God. In the Greek he called Jesus Jehovah God, Hophael, the God, and worships him. 
Jesus said, because thou hast seen me, Thomas, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen, but yet have believed. Oh, there are so many passages. Colossians chapter 2, verse 9. For in Jesus Christ dwells all the fullness of God himself living in human flesh. The Greek is beautiful. It tells us that the fullness, the very essence of God himself was there in the flesh. Pleroma tes theotetos somatikos. God in human flesh. And in Titus chapter 2, 13, what are we told to do? But to look for that blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of the great God and of our Savior, Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was face to face with God, the Word was God. Jesus Christ is second person of the Holy Trinity, God in human flesh. You say, but how do you prove the Trinity to Jehovah's Witness? You don't. All you can do is give them the evidence which is based upon Holy Scripture. In the Bible, we are specifically told that God is one. There is only one God, Deuteronomy 6, 4. We are told all through the Old Testament there is only one true and living God. But in the New Testament, there is a person called the Father, Second Peter chapter 1, and he is called God. There is a second person called the Son, as we have just seen, and he is called God. In John chapter 8, verse 58, the Lord Jesus Christ said to the Jews, before Abraham sprang to existence, I am. Look at verse 59. The Jews reached for stones to kill him. And in John 10, you find out why. Specifically says there, for thy good works we stone thee not, but for blasphemy, that you being a man are making yourself out to be God. Christ made the claim. In fact, in John chapter 5, verse 14, the scripture says the Jews therefore sought to kill Jesus because he had not only broken the Sabbath or loosed the Sabbath, but he said God was his father, making himself equal with God. How fascinating. To be called the Son of God was to be considered in Jewish theology equal with God the Father. So the Son is called God. And then in Acts chapter 5, Peter calls the Holy Spirit God. Remember Ananias and Sapphira? The first five percenters in the Christian church, five percent of the tithe for God, five percent of the tithe for them. And Ananias died for it, and Sapphira followed him. But Peter had a little dialogue with them. He said, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? And then he says, thou hast not lied to men, but to God. So Peter identifies the Holy Spirit as God. Now think about it for a second. The Father is God. The Son is called God, the Spirit is called God, and the Bible says, 1 Timothy chapter 2, there is one God. So the three persons are the one God, whether we can understand it or not. Now if you look further, you find Trinity all through the New Testament. Luke 1, 35, where the Virgin Mary is overshadowed by the Father, and the Holy Spirit comes upon her. And she conceives the child Jesus, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In the baptism of Jesus, Luke chapter 3, Christ is baptized, the Son. The Father speaks from heaven, the Spirit descends as a dove. Our Lord in John chapter 14 and in John chapter 15 speaks of himself, the Father, and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So you have Trinity in the Incarnation, Trinity in Baptism, Trinity in the teachings of the Lord Jesus, Trinity in Paul's letters, 
2 Corinthians 13, 14, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit abide with you forever. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. When Christ sent us out into the world to preach the gospel, Matthew chapter 28, he said, baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now you find Trinity in the New Testament, you find Trinity in the Old Testament. But when Jesus said before Abraham was I am, he was quoting Exodus chapter 3, where Moses talking with God asked God for his name. And God said, this is my name forever, my memorial to all generations. I am hath sent me unto you. I am that I am. That's why the Jews reached for the stone. That's why they wanted to kill him. They knew exactly who he was claiming to be. He was claiming to be the deity that spoke from that burning bush. In the Old Testament, in the New Testament, confirmation, the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. Truly God and truly man. And that's what we have to do when we face Jehovah's Witnesses. Take them to these and many other passages from the Word of God. Show in the John 20 passage, for instance, that he not only had the same body that hung on the cross, but that he was worshipped as God and that he accepted the worship. If you go into the book of Revelation, chapter 21, you will find John falling down before the angel that gave him the message to worship him. And the angel says, don't you dare do that. I'm only your fellow servant. Worship Jehovah. So the only one that can be worshipped is Jehovah God. I think there are many, many other passages that we could cite on the resurrection of Christ and on the deity of Christ. But on the biblical concept that is taught repeatedly throughout the entire Bible, we are faced with the fact that God is unchangeable. Malachi 3.6 I, the Lord thy God, I don't change. And Hebrews 13.8 Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, forever. He is the great I am. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. And in Revelation chapter 1 and Revelation chapter 21 and 22, he is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. He is Jehovah God because Jehovah says, Isaiah 44, 6, I am the first, I am the last, apart from me there is no God. Salvation for the Jehovah's Witness is through works. The blood of Jesus only brought back a perfect human life on earth. And so it's necessary for us to revel in the fact that Christ on the cross paid the price for all our sins. One sacrifice for sin forever and sat down at the right hand of God. If we are to deal with Jehovah's Witnesses, let's reach out to them with the truth of the resurrection, the power of the resurrection, the gospel of Christ, the salvation which is by grace, the blood of the cross which redeems the soul, not just buys back human life. And let us show them that when Jesus Christ comes back again, Revelation chapter 1, every eye shall see him. He didn't come in 1874 or 1914. When he comes again, the whole world will marvel and the whole world will beat its breasts because of it. Let's love the Jehovah's Witnesses. Let's teach them the truth and let's resist with every bit of force possible in the scriptures and through the Holy Spirit these teachings which would destroy the foundation of our Christian heritage.
now to that portion of our lecture where we have open questions in the seminar. If you have a question about these particular subjects, please feel free to ask them. Okay, we have our first question. Your name is? Howard Agee. And your question? Dr. Martin, how do we answer Jehovah's Witness according to Revelation 3.14 when they say that Jesus Christ is in the beginning is the creation of God? I think what you have to do when they quote that verse is to show them that modern translations have corrected that particular passage. It reads actually in the Greek that he is the origin or the source of all God's creation. He is the creator. There are so many references to this. We'd be here all day quoting them all. But the Father created Hebrews chapter 1, 2. The Son created Colossians chapter 1. The Spirit created Genesis chapter 1. You have many, many passages about creation. And therefore, Christ is not the beginning of God's creation. He is the source or the origin of that creation because he is the creator of all things. Okay, our next question. Your name is? Al Lyles. And your question? How can they say that uh, Jesus is a created being when John 1, 3 says that everything that was made was made by Jesus? Well, frankly, I don't see how they can, but their basic idea is that the Father created everything through the Son. So the Father was the creator. They ignore any other passages, but you can point out that the Scripture teaches the Father created, the Son created, the Spirit created, as I just indicated, and show that the Trinity actually was the source of all creation. Hi, what's your name? Grivnak. And your question. How can Jehovah's Witnesses have a translation of the Bible without Greek and Hebrew scholars? That's a very good question. They don't have any Greek or Hebrew scholars, and they're forever confusing the translation of the Scripture. In fact, in John chapter 8, verse 58, in the first edition of the New World Translation, which is their official translation. The Watchtower translated it, the word was a God. Then, when they put out their Kingdom Interlinear Translation, which is Greek on the left side and uh, English, the New World Translation, on the right side, as you can see up there on the screen, they changed it to God was the word. So on the left side of the page, you have God was the word, and the right side of the page, you have the word was a God. You can't have it both ways. And uh, I pointed this out to a Jehovah's Witness one time, and he said to me, Ah, but what you don't understand is that right here on the left side of the page, it's a small g for God. And I said, Oh, what you don't understand is that the manuscripts of the Greek New Testament are written in capital letters. So all you did was change the letter. And you just never even knew that before. You have to do things like that. Hi. Yes. Your name. My name is Robert Stone. Uh, my question is, um, Jesus made a statement saying the Father is greater than I. If he is God in the form of a man, uh, how, could, how do we correlate that scripture saying the Father is greater than I? Good question. And a very fast answer to it is that Jesus did not say my Father is better than I. Because greater is a term of position and better is a term of nature. So the President of the United States right at this moment is greater than any of us by virtue of his office. But he'd be the last person in the world to tell you that he was better than any of us because that's a comparison of character. Jesus said, my father is greater than I because he was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death. He never said, my father was better than I. Okay, we have another question. And your name is? Manny Amato. And your question? Dr. Martin, uh, is it possible that a Christian can belong to Jehovah's Witnesses and yet still be saved, uh, totally ignorant of the Watchtower's teachings? Yes, I have met people who are in the Watchtower who were drawn in from Christian communions and were very ignorant of basic Christian theology. And when they had pointed out to them what the Watchtower really believed, they were shocked by it. 
made notes on it. We're going to go back and ask questions, and I have known people to come out of the Watchtower because of that. I think that's true with a great many cults. Uh, Christians, untutored, get into it. Then they think that they found the truth, and suddenly they wake up and find out that it's another Jesus, it's a complete counterfeit, and they want out. I think that does happen, but I think it's on a very limited basis. Okay, your name? Brian LeBlanc. And your question is? Um, I've heard that uh, the Watchtower and the Bible tract study teaches that Jesus is Michael the Archangel. How do they come to that conclusion? Well, because Russell told them that Michael the Prince in the book of Daniel was actually Jesus Christ, because the word Michael means who is as God or like God. So they figured, or Russell figured, that it was Jesus Christ. So he passed it on, and they accepted it. If you want to refute that, all you have to do is go to Jude, verse 9, where Michael the archangel has an argument with the devil over the body of Moses. He doesn't dare rebuke the devil. He says, the Lord rebuke you. But when Jesus Christ had a disagreement with him, in Luke chapter 4, Jesus Christ said, get thee hence, Satan. He commanded him. Well, if he was a little lower than the angels as a man, and he still could command which he did, then obviously he wasn't Michael the archangel. And uh, just being in a position lower than God doesn't mean that one is inferior. Christ was lower as a man, but he was equal, the scripture says, with God. What are we really supposed to do about Jehovah's Witnesses? Well, we're supposed to give them reasons for faith and show them the truth of the gospel. Now, at Melody Land uh, Christian Center, where I teach a Bible class and also in the School of Theology where I teach, uh, we trained a group of people to go to the Watchtower's convention in Anaheim. And we trained them to go there and give out tracts that look like Watchtower literature and to confront the Jehovah's Witnesses. Well, they went. That was a marvelous time. It just completely disrupted the entire Jehovah's Witness convention. They, you'd have thought that there were 100,000 Christians knocking the doors down and there were only about 40 or 50. And the next week they were ready for us. And they had walkie-talkies and they were shooting back and forth from gate to gate and they would say, move into gate four, move into gate four to block the Christians. <laughs> so we had a fellow at Moldyland who had a, a little electronic know-how and uh, he put together some communicators for us. And we got on their wavelength. And they would say, converge on gate four, converge on gate four. And we'd say, make that gate six, make that gate six. They'd run to gate six, we'd go in gate four. <laughs> so it is possible to present a witness to them and to really shake them up. And at that convention, incidentally, some Jehovah's Witnesses came to the Lord Jesus Christ. So you can do it.